0: Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get
1: away from the keyboard.
0: Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and joining me is my co-host, Cecil Phillip. How are you doing today, Cecil?
2: Doing pretty good, Richie. What's going on, man?
0: So recently, my daughters and I have been watching this uh, YouTube channel called Node, and these guys go around and kind of shoot each other with airsoft guns and Nerf guns and do all sorts of kind of fun, crazy, tactical stuff like that. So recently, I bought a Nerf gun, and my daughters and I have been shooting each other.
2: Oh my gosh, that sounds like trouble.
0: So the gun that I got was uh, fires what uh, they call elite darts, and it's called the Modulus EC10. It's a flywheel gun, which means there's two wheels inside, and you've got to hold a button to spin it up, and then you can actually fire. But the problem is, is that it takes about two seconds for the flywheel to get going, for you could actually you know shoot a dart and at full speed, and it it's loud, so I can't like sneak
2: around
0: the the house and like attack them because they hear me coming from the, all the way at the end of the other end of the house.
2: Yeah, your stealth has completely been thrown out of the it's window.
0: Gone. It's like oh, you hear a wing. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, and uh, and some of the the other guns that my daughters have, they are you know the typical air type firing guns, and they shoot a lot farther and, and harder than um, than mine. So. I'm not disappointed with the purchase. It's it's a it's a lot of fun, uh, but it puts me at a disadvantage with them.
2: So you got to switch up your strategy now, man. You got to have like the extra piece that you keep in your leg.
0: So one of the attachments that I got um, is I change the stock. It, you could change out the stock, and the stock has a kind of a, a, a gun on it, like a regular air gun. You just mm-hmm. you pull it down, you pull the trigger. Right. So. I do have that at my disposal. But that's Can you only put a silencer shot. on it?
2: You should put a silencer on it. That would be cool.
0: <laughs> Maybe some soundproofing material on the flywheel on the inside.
2: <laughs> yeah, th- there you go. Exactly. <laughs> so what you been doing? So I've actually been biking, surprisingly. So for for Christmas, last Christmas that just passed, we got um Cameron a it's like a Batman mini go-kart type thing right so you know he has to pedal around and you know it's pretty good because he gets to go outside and he gets some exercise yeah so the first week he had it you know it was pretty cool but now you know weeks after and he's still riding this thing and we've been chasing him on foot up and down the neighborhood so i decided that it's probably time i get some wheels of my own so we actually had a bike that was, you know, it's been in the garage. It's been sitting there for a couple of months and we haven't done anything to it. So decided to, you know, clean it up, get it tuned up, you know, take care of the tires. And and so since, you know, probably the past four days or so, we've been riding almost every day. Um, so it's been pretty cool. You know, we have going around the neighborhood, you know, kind of just, you know, waving hi to the neighbors as you go by kind of thing and kind of just exploring, um, you know, what's around us. You know, we, we, you know, we moved into the house what like, less than just about six months ago. And, you know, we're still kind of learning the area and, you know, figuring out, you know, who the neighbors are and, you know, what's around us and stuff like that. So before you know it, he's just going to be regular Batman. I'm saying, right? Like he's just going to be, oh, we see him all the time. He's not like a superhero. (laughs) (laughs) He ain't rich. (laughs) Exactly. He just lives up (laughs) the (laughs) street. So we've got some events coming up. We do. So the first one I want to talk about is O'Reilly's Artificial Intelligence Conference. And that's going to be on June 26th to 29th in New York City. And the title goes from bots and agents to voice and IoT interfaces. Learn how to implement AI in a real world project. Delve into the latest research to learn how AI is changing business, the business landscape. Best price ends on April 7th. And so if you guys are interested in registering for the conference, make sure you use the code capital P, capital C, that's PCOA, And you can save up to 20% on your passes.
0: Sounds like a good conference if you want to build the next Skynet.
2: And I'll be with Elon Musk on the moon. Far, <laughs> far away from you bot people. <laughs> and so now, Rishi, we got um, Orlando Code Camp coming up too, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Orlando Code Camp is coming up on April 8th. That's a Saturday. It's one of, again, it's one of our favorite conferences or code camps that we go to. Yep. Uh, Cecil, you and I will be speaking at the exact same time again. So I don't know how that happened, two conferences in a row. But I'm saying,
2: right? Like that's something something's funny is going on here. We need to talk to him about that.
0: Yeah, but it it looks like that I won't be in there giving you a hard time. So I apologize in advance for that.
2: <sighs> Whatever will I do, man.
0: But there'll be a ton of folks that we've interviewed here and on away from the keyboard
2: uh at the conference. Um David Haney and yep. Esteban and Santosh and um Ashley's gonna be coming down. Ashley be there, yeah. So
0: it's gonna be cool. It's going to have, it's, going to, it's got a really great cast of characters that are, are going to be there. So, and that's going to be on April 8th. It's a good time if you're in town in Orlando, I suggest
2: you show up. Definitely. So, who are we talking to today? So, today we're talking to Derek Bailey. Derek is a developer, entrepreneur, author, speaker, and technology leader in Central Texas. He's been a professional developer since the late 90s and has been writing code since the late 80s. Derek has built software for organizations of all shapes and sizes, including contributions to Microsoft's MSDN library, running several highly regarded open source projects, creating software solutions for large financial organizations, healthcare organizations, world-class airlines, the U.S. government, and more. These days, Derek spends most of his time working on content for his own entrepreneurial efforts at WatchMeCode.net, playing video games when he gets a chance, and writing code for his few remaining clients. You can reach Derek at DerekBailey.com or on Twitter at DerekBailey. This episode was recorded on February 8th,
0: 2017, and now our conversation with Derek Bailey. And now, Away From the Keyboards feature conversation.
2: So our guest today is hailing from Waco, Texas. I'm right, right? You're in Waco, Texas, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Waco.
2: Great. And so I'd like to have, I'd love for everybody to welcome Mr. Derek Bailey. So Derek, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. It's, it's uh, great to be here.
2: No, appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you for being on. So for some of our listeners that may not know who you are, could you give us a little bit of a background about, you know, about yourself?
1: yeah so I guess uh if I had to uh, describe myself professionally in one word, it would be teacher and that's that's kind of a a conclusion I've come to in the last couple of years and you know there there's a lot to me, more to me than than just that, but all of my career if if I look back at my career path, where i I came from and and where I am now, there's been this constant level of teaching other people you know long before blogs long before you know the 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 social media took over the internet i was doing everything i could to write articles and help other developers that i was working with and through user groups and you know everything else that that i could think of and and it's it's only been in the last couple of years really the last 6 months probably that i've kind of settled on the notion that i am a professional educator of sorts I don't have a teaching degree, I don't have a PhD, I don't teach at a university, you know, I got a lot of respect for those people, my wife is a PhD and teaches at a university, for example, but I, I find myself constantly and consistently in that role, and it's, it's, it's ultimately what I do, and I just happen to do it in the realm of software, software development, entrepreneurial efforts, you know, everything, everything surrounding my business and who I am, is what I teach to other people.
2: That's interesting. So, so would you say your passion is really teaching or is your passion the software? Like like which one kind of, you know, is the foundation of the other?
1: They they feed into each other really. If you if you want to go back to the very beginning, I would say it started with the software. I've I've been writing code since I was ten years old in 1988. Oh wow, you know, really? And I, and I just I haven't stopped since. So it my my current career path certainly started with code, but throughout my life I've I I have somewhat of a dominating personality in in various social situations. Even when I was working in fast food restaurants in high school, I would inevitably end up being shift manager or shift leader depending on the on the specifics of the fast food restaurant. And this always came about because I could manage multiple angles of what was happening at the same time. And I could be focused on the details of working the burger line, but then I could manage the, the people that were doing fries and buns and chicken and salads and, and whatever else was going on at the same time. For me... When I learn something, when I get to the point where I think I know how something works, I have to share it. I have to to tell somebody because I'm excited about the knowledge that I've gained, but I, I have this tremendous desire to help other people get to where I am because I see the benefits of where I am. I see, oh, hey, I've been using RabbitMQ for three years now, and it's amazing, and I want other people to use it. Oh, hey, I've been using Docker for almost a year, and it's amazing, and I want other people to see how amazing it is and how it can help them. And so there's, it's, it's a self-feeding cycle. As I learn and as I grow as a developer and as an entrepreneur and, and every other aspect of my life, it just creates this desire for me to share that knowledge and to help other people get to... The place where I am, where they can see those benefits.
0: So, how long did you uh, work for uh, fast food restaurants?
1: I, I suppose if you loosely define fast food restaurants to include being a janitor at a donut shop, um, <laughs> <laughs> from from the age of fifteen until probably uh, nineteen or twenty, and I think I think that was about I think yeah twenty was about the last time I worked in any kind of fast food restaurant or gas station which had a fast food restaurant in it um so four four or five years
0: so uh what was like the the main lesson that you learned from working at that type of job for i guess during really some of your formative years as a teen
1: uh probably the biggest thing that I learned was. Doing the job, even if you hate doing it, because it needs to be done. And if you do it well, then you you move quickly through the organization. So, As an example, the gas station that I worked at, which had a fast food restaurant in it, the very first day that I worked a shift on my own, um, I, I was sitting behind the counter going, what can I do? What do I need to do? And, you know, I I looked at my checklist and I, I had gone through everything. And so I just walked around the store you know, cleaning all of the extra little things, the stuff that nobody ever paid attention to because I didn't have anything else to do. And it was there and I wanted it to be nicer than what it was because I saw that little spot of dirt and dust behind the coffee machine. And I saw that extra piece of paper laying on the floor and, you know, all those little things. And. And honestly, this this might sound kind of awful, but when it came to cleaning the bathroom, I was meticulous about cleaning the ba- bathroom because I had to use that bathroom. And if I was going <laughs> to use it, it was going to be clean, right? So these jobs that nobody wanted to do, the, the cleaning and the maintenance and the reorganizing the shelves and restocking the shelves, these were the things that I went to when I didn't have anything else to do. And I did them to a level that satisfied me as as a customer, as somebody that wanted to shop in that same gas station to, you know, buy, you know, sodas or candy or whatever it was. And that very first time I worked on my own, my own shift by myself at that gas station. I, I came back to work the next day after having done all of that. And my manager walks up to me and says, Hey, uh, was it you that did X, Y, Z, ABC, etc yesterday? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, if you could keep doing that, um, <laughs> that'd be great because the employees came in this morning and you seriously shaved an hour and a half off of their morning routine by taking care of that yesterday. Wow. And you know, he, he's like, and thank you for, for doing that. You know, what do you need? What can I buy from you? for you from the store right now anything you want in the store it's yours and that was like wow okay this is this is amazing this just doing what i thought needed to be done taking care of those little things doing the job that nobody else wanted to do and doing it well you know that's that's kind of the lesson that i i i saw over and over again at, at the gas station you know back of the donut shop when i was 15 at, at the various fast food places that i worked And that kind of stuck with me and and has turned into really my philosophy of everybody has to do the dishes sometime. You know, you you just got to do it and you should do it well, because when you do it well, it makes a big difference to a lot of people.
0: So when he, he said you could have anything in the store, did you say the cash register? <laughs> no. that's, that's where I would go that,
1: that was in the store but no, he, he, he started the conversation something like hey is there uh, anything I can buy for you in the store so I, I kind of told the story <laughs> backwards he started the conversation with is, is there anything that you need you know so some soda some chips burger whatever was like oh, I ran out of Mountain Dew yesterday so was like, alright I'll, I'll, I'll buy you a case of Mountain Dew nice and then he goes into the, into the bits about why he was doing it which, which was pretty awesome but for for the entire the entire time that I worked there it's about a year, year and a half I think. You know, the, every single time I worked there the bathroom was absolutely spotlessly clean the entire time. Cuz cuz I I had to use that bathroom just like just like the customers did, so.
2: So Derek, what actually got you into software and technology and programming and, you know, all of that type of thing?
1: random accidents of my dad's business basically <laughs> it's, uh, my dad was uh he, he had al- always been kind of entrepreneurial minded very much a, a big inspiration in my life for for my entrepreneurial right. efforts uh, and in in 1988 we moved to minnesota from kansas where i was from and uh he got to his his job and saw literally a closet full of computers these old commodore 64 systems which at the time were still fairly common in business but they had this closet full of them that that weren't in use anymore so he got permission from his manager to cobble together a a working collection of parts and bring it home for me and then you know after a few weeks of messing around with it trying to figure out how it worked having a few discs to play with my mom brought home a, a Commodore 64 basic programming book oh on, yeah on the basic language she brought it home from a garage sale she got this book and a shoebox full of disks for like a dollar and and I, I was i was instantly hooked i couldn't put that book down i was typing you know line 10 line 20 line 30 line 40 for hours on end any chance i had and it, it so it it really started there. My natural curiosity with wanting to know how things worked and, and, and also the creative side of me. I was all through school, from grade school on up through high school and into college. I don't think I had a single teacher that did not remark on my constant doodling and drawing in the margins of my books and my papers, my homework, everything. So there's this this incessant desire in me to create. And I found a wonderful way to express that creativity with software.
2: And not only with software too, but you're, you're obviously doing it with software and teaching. Yes, right? yes. So you're not only just creating, but you're being very generous and sharing it with everybody, right? And helping everybody become better through your courses, through your books, through, you know, all the other things that you have going on.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly trying my best to do that.
2: So tell me, how did you go from, because I'm guessing at some point you had a, a regular day-to-day job, right? Mm-hmm. I'm guessing at some point in time you were an employee, right? Like yeah, most most of years. us, Right, like most of us have been at some point. Uh, at what stage in, in your career did you decide, I want to stop doing that, and I want to kind of transition over to being more independent and creating content, and the content that you want to create for yourself?
1: There's a lot of different pathways in my career that led up to that. Uh, it started in, oh gosh, probably 2007, 2008 maybe. Um, I, I think it was 2007 that I first heard of GitHub. Maybe it was 2008 or 2000, I don't remember exactly, but, you know, GitHub had been around for a little while. Some people that I knew were using Git and GitHub and I was interested in it. And I, I created an account uh, because somebody suggested that I build a uh, um, a platform to run, uh, to, to do .NET builds, uh, dot, to build .NET based systems with Ruby. And it, it, I kind of got into open source accidentally through GitHub because of that. I would previously tried to do open source contributions and I used a lot of open source prior to that. Uh, but it was all through subversion which was difficult to to you know branch and send pull requests and things like that it was just difficult but github made that easy so the the software side of things started there the the content creation side of things started years earlier um, actually at one point early in my career in my first job after college i was working at a manufacturing company in the marketing department And I was bored out of my mind for about three months because I had kind of moved beyond the point where I could make changes to the live production web applications um, with, with any kind of reliability. I needed a local development server. And this is 2002 era. So the idea of having a local development server literally meant an actual server, you know, development on local computers as a as, as a software developer was still fairly limited. You needed something like, you know, Windows NT with IIS installed on it because it wasn't really available at the time on, on Windows uh, 2000 or, or Windows 98 or whatever it was I was using. Um, so I spent about three months waiting for the IT department to grant the request for, like, $3,000 worth of hardware and software so that I could do development locally before pushing it out to the live servers. And while I was doing that, while I was sitting there twiddling my thumbs waiting for the IT department to grant my, my, my request, I started writing CD reviews. I, I had connections to some independent and underground music scenes throughout the U.S. and Canada, and I started getting them to send me CDs of up-and-coming bands, and I would write reviews. And then at the same time, I was like, huh, this is kind of fun, writing these reviews. Oh, hey, I just wrote this cool thing in code. You know, I, I wrote a VB6 DLL that I'm calling from a classic ASP page, and I'm basically sending messages back and forth between computers through a web page as if it were an instant message client. And so I wrote this, like three or four, pay, uh, three or four part articles series for a now defunct website. I can't, can't even remember the name of it now, but I wrote this this series for this website, and it became incredibly popular. Got thousands of views. It was like the very first article I'd ever written written for any website, and it and it became incredibly popular. And so that kind of seeded the, the addiction to creating content and writing. And so when I started answering questions about software development on websites like expertsexchange.com, which at the time had an unfortunate URL, it was not experts-exchange.com. <laughs> it was without the hyphen in there, so it could, could have easily been misinterpreted as, as expertsexchange.com. Which what, you wrote on
0: expertsexchange.com? Exactly.
1: <laughs> the, 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 the URL got banned by my IT department in the web filter for a while because they misinterpreted the URL as that because I was I was spending a lot of time on there, you know, answering questions and asking <laughs> questions and whatnot. Uh, so Derek, that, that, Derek, that's Derek, kind Derek, of that. What the, are you doing, man? Yeah. It, exactly. That's, that's the genesis of, of me getting fired. and No, <laughs> but that was really the, the genesis of, of me creating content it was was just through happenstance and being bored and, and wanting something to do. So I, I found something to do and it. And, and that was about the same time that, that the idea of blogging uh, started to take off as well. And I found a number of blogs in the Austin, Texas and Dallas, Texas area. I lived in Dallas at the time. And I started reading these blogs and thinking, you know, I could probably do this blogging thing. I'm just going to totally rip off the style of these bloggers that I enjoy reading. And I'm just going to start doing my own blog. And it just, it, it rolled from there. So I've, it, if the websites still existed, I could say that I've been blogging since 2004, I think. But those old sites don't exist anymore.
2: Well, that's a long time. Yeah. so let me ask you this you mentioned that you you borrowed from some of the other people that you you kind of liked in terms of mm-hmm. the, the blogging space right over time did you notice that you started to develop your own writing style oh right? yes and then have Absolutely. you noticed people starting to to do the same thing right they're starting to quote unquote borrow from you a little bit like do you see some of those type of things happening
1: yeah, I think I have. Um, my writing style has certainly evolved over the, over the years, and there is there is a definite style that that I have in terms of organizing the content, and how I start a blog post and how I conclude a blog post. And right. I I think I generally fall follow, follow uh, halfway decent writing principles. You know, have a beginning, a middle, and the end. Tell people what you're going to tell them. Tell them, and then tell them what you told them. Sure. You know, all those, all those, you know, trite principles and 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 sayings that you hear when you talk about writing. Those are generally things I follow. So it, it'd be easy for me to point at somebody else's blog and say, "Oh yeah, that's totally my style." But at the same time, it's like, "Well, yeah, I mean, I'm following the same style guidelines as a lot of other people."
2: Right. 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 No, I got you.
1: But I, I certainly have my own voice. I certainly have my own style. And and it, it, while it started as directly copying other developers and other bloggers that I enjoyed reading, it, it very quickly evolved into its own voice and its own style.
2: One of the reasons I ask is because I'm sure there's tons of people listening and also not listening. Shame on you if you're not listening. But anyway, <laughs> I'm sure there's tons of other people that are listening and they're thinking... Hey, I really want to start this blogging thing. Or I've been Mm. thinking about or talking about blogging for weeks, months, maybe even years in some cases. And I just don't know what where to start, and I don't know how to write a blog. Yeah, because maybe we write code for a living, right? And we don't really write articles per se, right? Like, how do I start, and how do I write something and not sound like an idiot? Because obviously, once it's on the internet. It's on their internet, right? Right, right, right. And so you become very self-conscious about yep. the type of material that you put out there and the type of persona that you want to get out there, right? Yep. And I think what you, do, what you did was interesting. You kind of just, you did it, right? And you did it following the example of others and right. evolved your style over time. So I think there was a little bit of confidence in you already, right? Because you're just like, oh, okay, well, everybody else is doing this. I'm going to just kind of do the same thing. And then you kind of worked on it until you found what was comfortable for you, right? So, so yeah, would you yeah, r- recommend that to other people today as a good way to start blogging?
1: Absolutely, that is in in everything I do, from blogging to screencasting to you know drawings. The the the, the little stick figures that I draw on my blog these days, that those actually started because I really wanted to copy the style and simplicity of XKCD. That's that's where it came from. It's just flat out, I want to do that. Really? Okay, let me start drawing stick figures. And then it very quickly evolved into my own style of stick figures.
2: Nice. But nice. that
1: stealing stealing from other people's style and modeling yourself after them, I, I have had a countless number of people tell me to do exactly that. So if you're if you're wanting to start, if you're thinking about getting started, find the bloggers that you enjoy reading and just totally rip off their style. I mean, don't copy and paste their stuff. Certainly that's, that's stealing content and copyright violations and all that, but look at the way they structure their content and just structure it the same way. And if you, if you're having a hard time doing that, then write the blog post as if you're explaining a concept to your friend, your coworker, you know, who cares if nobody else understands it, as long as you understand what you're writing down, and you're writing in a way that says, I'm talking to somebody who has some base level of knowledge that I'm assuming, sure, but they have some base level of knowledge, then at some point, you will have an article that is beneficial to somebody else, because somebody else will have that base level of knowledge, and will will find an answer in what you've written.
2: And I think that's a good point. A lot of the times, inspiration will come from conversations you just have randomly with your friends, with us on a podcast, with you at, you know, some colleagues at work and you could, whatever particular topic that might be, you might, you know, sit down, take an hour two hours and write about it. Right. Right. You just had a conversation about it. So obviously you could talk about it. Right. So take those words and take those words and, you know, put them into, you know, put it into a blog post.
1: One of my, one of my favorite things to do along those lines is to take an email conversation. I I get a pretty regular stream of questions from people reading my blog and watching my videos. They'll ask a question over email, and we'll go back and forth three or four times, and and they'll have a solution or an answer. And I'll ask, okay, would you mind if I post this conversation to my blog? I can put your name in it or leave your name out. You let me know what you would prefer. Nine right. times out of ten, they say, yeah, sure, go ahead. And about half the time, they say, yeah, you can use my name. Uh, but the in, in those cases, I, I almost just copy and paste the conversation. I do a little bit of formatting just to make it look like a blog post. right? But it's just copy and paste the conversation because the content is already there.
2: Right, right. Nice. So
0: speaking of your stick figures, I am not an artist. And your stick fingers look about a million times better than what I could do so what do you <laughs> use you. to create the stick figures and you know because you have colors and you blurs yeah. and you do a whole bunch of stuff so what's your what's your process in in creating those?
1: um I use an iPad with the paper app and the stylus from the company that makes paper it, uh, uh, the it's called pencil by fifty three not the apple pencil but mm-hmm. pencil by fifty three. That is my preferred app and stylus. Um, I, I I have a long history with doodling and drawing. As I said before, going all the way back to grade school and constantly doodling and in, in in my homework and in my books. I never expected to to draw stick figures. You know, it was never anything that that I really ever thought I would do for a living as part of my job. And now I've got this incredible persona as the stick figure guy and people know that it's my work because there is a style to these stick figures that says this was drawn by Derek Bailey it's it's fun you know it's i love doing it it's the the challenge of using as few lines as possible to express an emotion and a state of being like scrolling down my derekbailey.com homepage right now, there's the Docker recipes for Node.js development book cover, and it's got a guy at a keyboard looking at recipes, and it's got a chef wearing a hat, stirring a pot, and there's some other pots and ingredients and things laying on the ground. And just the, the challenge of expressing the situation in a way that is meaningful to the content that I'm, I'm trying to to talk about but also you know just just incredibly simple it's it's fun i really enjoy the process and i and i do have some art training background i took just about every art class that my high school had to offer and i took a few more in college and there's various paintings hanging up around my house that i did in college that i was particularly proud of and and still think are quite well done i have a few sculptures from high school Sitting in a box, things like that. So it's it's not like I'm just you know suddenly picking up a pencil and drawing stick figures. I did study arts along with music and software development and you know computers and, every, and everything else in high school and college.
0: Okay, okay, that that, that makes sense because I'm looking at this and I'm like, I, I wouldn't. That's interesting colors and it works so well and and you know how it you know how you can make eyes that expressive because <laughs> I. I there's no way <laughs> I'm so yeah. lost.
1: Yeah, a, a lot of the the facial expressions uh, come from memes. Like, I I I come up with with an emotion that I want to express, and I'll go find a meme that expresses that emotion, and I'll study the eyes and the mouth, and I'll just simplify it from there. And there's a lot of very classic uh, art photography not photography, uh, drawings where you'll have this range of 30 different emotions drawn with just eyes or just a mouth or eyes and a mouth or a head. You know, And, and there's different styles that you see in these. And so I'll go study those and I'll look very closely at those pictures to figure out what it is about the eyes, the position of the eyes, the shape of the eyes, the eyelids, where the mouth is, where the eyebrows are. It, it does take a tremendous amount of study and effort to get it right. And quite frankly, I'm glad I have an iPad to do the drawing with because it's a constant, constant process of erasing and redrawing and erasing and redrawing. To get a single stick figure face done with an emotion that I am intending to, to express can take 20 to 30 minutes. Wow, really? Yeah, for only a few lines on the paper.
2: <laughs> and as I'm looking at your, the various blog posts and things you have here on your website, it's like you've created a, a brand for yourself mm-hmm. or you've added to your brand right. with these stick figures. And I don't know if you did that intentionally or not because obviously you're talking about how much fun it was and you're enjoying the process and you know that along with your already existing passion for teaching. But essentially, like I could look at this and I could be like, hey, this is Derek's work. Right. Because it's it's branded, right? Like, I mean, the stick figure isn't branded, but, you know, it's the way that the style of you creating these stick figures and the colors you use and the yeah. way that they're structured in your page, I could, you know, if I didn't look at the URL, I could be like, okay, this looks like Derek Bailey's work.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was certainly not intentional. Like I said, I I started drawing stick figures because I wanted to copy the style of XKCD. It's it's right. by far my favorite webcomic. Uh, But once I started down that path and, and, and the whole reason I started that was because I found that there was a blog post I wanted to write for which I could not find an appropriate image. I wanted to express fear basically. Right. And I couldn't find a good image to express fear that didn't involve situations, which I was uncomfortable using on my blog. Right. And Ultimately, I, I decided, hey, you know, XKCD has some pretty phenomenal expression in these stick figures that don't even have faces. Maybe I can copy their style of stick figure and just add a face on there. And so I, I, I did it and, it, and it turned out better than I expected it to. So I just kept doing it. And as I kept doing it, it, it kept evolving and kept changing. And, and over time, it, it turned into... The, the style that I have now. And there's actually, there's some more recent uh, drawings that I've done for my YouTube channel. Um, it's, a, it's a video game-based YouTube channel where I just record random stuff and talk over it sometimes and sometimes just show it. But if you go to uh, YouTube and look up Code Ninja Gaming, um, it's, there's there's a, a videos tab in there. And you have to scroll down a few, but you'll see a bunch of my stick figures in there where I've got soldiers for this is for the battlefield one game. And I've got soldiers with a lot of different expressions on there. Like one guy staring down the wrong end of the, the rifle and another guy with this total face palm kind of look. There's another one where this, this guy is standing there looking like he's talking and holding up a finger saying, you know, this one thing. And then there's a bunch of, there's a crowd of, of stick figures on the other side of the image looking confused and, so there's there's all these different emotions and expressions going on, and I've I've taken the style that I created from DerekBader.com and I've put it into you know uh, images on top of video games, video game videos for for YouTube, and you know I, I haven't done it all the time. Sometimes it's just like, man, I really don't feel like taking the time to draw one of these because it is. I mean, it, it can take an hour to create even two stick figures with one box on the screen just to get all the details right and make sure it's simple yet expressive.
2: Right. It's, it's simple. It's the detail is still very important.
1: Right. Right. Even within the simplicity. Yeah. Like, like one of my favorite pictures on here, um, toward the bottom of the playlist, um, of the first screen, there's a video called noob hunting and there's a, a, a stick figure looking down the wrong end of the rifle And another stick figure hiding behind a rock. And he's got this Santa hat on top of his helmet. Because it was, I I posted this on Christmas, I think. Right. And that's, that's one of my favorite drawings that I've done for my YouTube channel. Just because of the simplicity but expressive detail in the Santa hat. As well as that rock that he is resting his rifle on. Because there's there's a shadow underneath of that rifle that makes it look like the rock has texture and there are shadows on the rock that make it look like it has dimension to it and right it, right, right, tur- right it turned out significantly better than i expected it to and i'm i'm quite proud of of that particular image
2: nice and so derek how did you go from so we spoke we spoke obviously a lot about you creating content writing blogs mm-hmm. so how did how did that go from i have a job and i'm writing blogs but now you're now you have products, right? Like right. you have books and you have courses, you have podcasts, right? Right. So entreprogrammer with John Summers, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these other engagements. So how did how did that kinda happen?
1: Uh, partially through happenstance again, just accidental things being in the right place at the right time. Okay. The the, the videos specifically came about because of my engagement on Twitter, essentially, I had become uh, acquainted with a guy named uh, Brian Hogan, who uh, coincidentally did the music, the intro music for my, my screencasts. Um, he's a he's a phenomenal creator. He's he's a great software developer. Um, he teaches at a university now and teaches kids proper software development with test driven development and everything. Um, but he's also a phenomenal musician. And he's written several books, really, really good books on design and software development for, for pragmatic programmers. And back in, uh, early to mid 2010, I was, um, just going about my business, blogging things and talking about what I was learning with, with backbone JS at the time. And I got this email from Brian, uh, basically say, Hey, I've been talking to, Prag Prague about where where they want to go with things and they said they want to get back into doing videos and you know I I would like to recommend you as a resource for helping them get into videos because I think with your teaching style on your blog you'd be pretty good at it and so you know that was incredibly flattering to me it's like wow that's that's awesome thank you so much for for doing that and it sounds like a great opportunity let's roll with it so I, I did, you know, I, I said yes, I signed the contracts. Um, I spent a year and a half, you know, working with them on the first set of videos that they produced uh, to, to, to re- restart their video production effort. And it took that long because I was learning a lot about video production, they were learning a lot about video production. Uh, we ended up changing editors halfway through the process. I had to re record all of my content three times. Because you know, I I didn't know what I was doing the first time,
2: and right. then
1: I recorded it incorrectly the second time, and the, you know, just all these things, all all this learning process and learning mistakes, and I, I I'm fortunate in that I do have a background in audio production. I actually got my uh, my associate's degree in in uh, audio production, and worked in a very well respected um, recording studio in Denver for a year. And that worked, was taught by a professor who ran that studio and had the opportunity to, to, uh, to work under him in in terms of education and college. So the, the audio side of things was, was second nature to me. Um, but the, uh, the video side was so very different because you can't edit video the way you can edit audio and even, and, and, and text, you know, you, you misspell a word. Okay. You fix the misspelling. You misspoke a word, okay, you re record that word with the same intonation and you splice it in. You can't really do that with video because it gets really choppy and really confusing. And it took me a very long time to figure out how to record things in very small increments so that I didn't have to re record 20 or 30 minutes at a time.
2: Oh, nice. And so, how do you decide what you want to do your videos on?
1: That's the real tough question. <laughs> And it's it's something that I've probably done wrong more often than not, but I basically pick whatever subject I'm currently learning and currently excited about. Okay. Like when when I did my RabbitMQ series a year and a half ago, it was because I was incredibly excited about what I was able to do with RabbitMQ. I was past the initial learning curves. I was past the point where. You know, the the terminology and technology confused me, and I could do some legit work with it. And so I recorded it, and I put together this giant experiment of a marketing campaign around it, and it failed miserably at first. Like the very first version that I was trying to sell was $1,500, but it included a bunch of uh, consulting and training and and one-on-one stuff with it. And so that flopped miserably, didn't sell one. But then a month later, I turned around and made a $250 version of the product. And I sold uh, $13,000 worth of that version within the first month. So I was like, okay, wow, this, this worked well. Yeah, this is working Yeah, let me see if I can repeat that. And I've been trying to repeat that level of success since then. Haven't quite made it there yet. But I'm, I am expecting my current efforts with Docker to far exceed that based on the, the numbers that I've been seeing since I started doing the Docker screencasts and did the, the, the ebook pre-sale last month based on Google Trends as well, looking at how quickly Docker is growing and how consistently it's been growing and is growing.
0: So you don't just roll a D20 and try to figure out uh, what what to do next? Because that's what I would do, right? It's like D That's 20. pretty <laughs> close to what it is, <laughs> right? Honestly, I, I, I mean, you it, know, maybe I have advantage and roll it again. You know,
1: yeah, it's, it it may as well be that because it's it's whatever I happen to be working on, and in, in the past that has gotten me in some trouble in terms of my audience not caring about what I'm doing because I would I would spend six weeks talking about backend stuff with Node, and then I would spend six weeks talking about cleaning up jQuery code on the front end and my audience would get confused and I would lose a lot of subscribers and gain new subscribers and you know it, it's only been in the last year that I've actually decided that I have to focus into a specific area and so I've I've branded Watch me code as screencast for node.js and backend developers and that's the focus that I'm I'm working with so I'm I'm very actively saying, I'm not going to do React. I'm not going to do Vue.js. I'm not going to do any more front-end technologies, which is a huge detriment to my income levels because I'm not working in the the new hotness every day, but it's where I want to be. It's what I want to do. It's, It's the decision I've made, and I'm running with it, and I think I can still find tremendous opportunity within it including Docker, which is what my current focus.
0: Yeah, and I think there's something to say that for that, right? So someone, you're following your passion. You're going to be more excited about it and mm-hmm. hopefully do more work towards it as opposed to something you're like, you know, you know I know VB.net pays me, but right. is it really something that I'm really passionate about and I'm going to work extra hours on? Eh,
1: uh-huh. Exactly. And the, the whole follow your passion thing is kind of a double-edged sword without a handle. You know it's it's an incredibly cool weapon when you look at it but once you start holding it you realize how dangerous it is because you can you can follow your passion and then your passion changes very quickly mm. because what was once new and exciting is now work and that's where you really have to rely on the work ethic that you've built which which is why frankly I'm glad I worked as a janitor and as a, a line cook at a fast food restaurant and you know, as a, an, a, a counter jockey at a gas station and you know all these other menial tasks. I did construction for uh, almost a year, two, two summers worth of, of construction in between high school and college and, and just after college. So I've, I've done all of these different things where you just have to get the work done. And it's helped to build that work ethic, like I, I talked about before, where I know that I just need to get this stuff done. And there's there's a constant level of that when you follow your passion. You, you, you have that passion and that desire, and you move forward quickly at first, but then it becomes work. And that's where you have to rely on your work ethic. And there's, there's nothing wrong with saying, oh, hey, this is just a passion project, and I'm going to throw it away in a month because I don't care. That's totally fine. And you can do some really fun, cool things, and and go on about your 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 day without feeling any regret for that. But if this is something that you're trying to do as a business, as any kind of level of, of sustainability, then you have to know how to turn passion into work ethic.
2: And you know, before we um before we ask you to be on the show, I've I've actually followed you on Twitter for a little bit. Stalker. Um, I've always yeah. I'm <laughs> Ooh, I'm greedy. sorry. I, I probably should not admit that on the air, should I? <laughs> Post production, um, <laughs> we're going to. Um, <laughs> that is so staying in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I've always seen your tweets as the Rabbit MQ guy mm-hmm. in my head. That's that's what you are because right. That's a lot of the content that I see you tweeting, and I'm guessing I'll, I'm guessing some of those tweets are are automated to some extent like also
1: 99% of them.
2: Right. Um, cause you know, I'm looking at them and they're obviously they're pushing your courses and they're pushing, right. they're pushing your videos. They're pushing your email courses
1: and the blog posts and the blog posts. That, yeah.
2: Like it's, it's, it your, your, it's your distribution channel for yep. one of your, just dist- one of your distribution channels for the stuff that you write. Right. Right. And, but I've always seen you as a rabbit and queue guy. And so in my head, like that's, that's one of the things that you focus on. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, And again like you said even though it's not the new hotness right it's interesting technology but it's not virtual dom and yeah exactly you know containers and whatever the case is right this
1: this is tried and true boring technology that will literally change your life but it's not the new hotness so nobody cares about it
2: but you know what but it works
1: yeah exactly (laughs) it works and it It works works incredibly well it runs most of the financial industry Right. That's how well it works. And people don't right. realize just how incredible this very simple thing is.
2: And I wanted to highlight that because kind of going back to what you were saying earlier, there's a lot of stuff that's really cool, mm-hmm. right? like Angular, React, a lot of the front-end stuff that's going on in JavaScript. You know, machine learning is cool. Everybody wants to be right. a data scientist. Yep, stuff yep. is cool. But at the end of the day, there's there's tons of opportunity for everybody to, to kind of pick a topic, pick a pick a specialty. Right. And that doesn't have to be, you know, TypeScript and ES6 and new cool JavaScript stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, because technology is so vast and, and wide. Like, Like, it's like, if you look at cultures of the world, right? Like, there's so many, so much richness in the world in terms right. of different cultures. And you can almost look at technology itself as, you know, a collection of cultures. Absolutely. If, if you wanted to look at it from a, you know, from a population perspective. And so there's a lot of opportunity for anybody to, to pick up and do anything else. And so for our listeners, again, I just wanted to say that because you might say, hey, oh, but there's so many people doing Angular courses now, or there's so many people doing ASP.NET courses now, whatever the mm-hmm. case is. But there's so many other things that we haven't spoken about yet. Right, Tons right. of opportunity for everybody else.
1: Even if there are so many other people doing the thing that you want to do, I call that market validation. Yeah. These people are doing it because it's in demand. And you have a unique perspective on that thing. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your experience is, where you come from. You are the only person in the world. You, the listener, are the only person in the world that has your perspective. And sharing that is incredibly valuable. Don't be dry and boring and just create technical documentation here express your opinions your preferences and your perspective on these things because you are the only one that has that perspective
2: so again derek for all our listeners that are checking out the show and they want to know more about you way they can get your courses what are some of the cool things that you're working on right now like what's what's the best way for them to kind of kind of follow along and you know 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 what's up
1: uh, best place to go is derekbailey.com. Everything kind of branches out from there. It's it's a bit of my hub. It's my technical blog where you can find links to Watch Me Code and my Twitter account and Entree programmers and the email courses I do and the books I've written and all the other things. It's 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 kind of the centralized hub where where my digital life begins and branches out.
2: Cool, gotcha. Although
1: the one thing I don't have on there yet, I need to need to get links on there to my my YouTube gaming channel. So you can find that, just Google uh, Code Ninja Gaming, and it'll come up as like the first link.
2: We'd like to thank Derek for being a guest on the show. It was great to have the opportunity to chat with him. If you like this show, please tell your friends and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Also, remember to check us out on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash AFTKpodcast. And on Twitter at AFTKpodcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Cecil Philip and Richie at Jarris. That's J O R R I S S.
0: Yeah, and you can subscribe to us via, to the show via the website, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, or on iTunes. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, sign up to our newsletter. We get extra episodes and behind-the-scenes access to the keyboard.
2: Next on away from the keyboard, we'll be speaking to entrepreneurs Maxim and Alvaro from Caribou.
0: So that's actually where
1: technology again comes into play and is really helping kids out is number one we have all different types of learners kinetic learners tactile learners oral learners visual learners um technology allows for us as teachers
0: to differentiate um, for our kids it was fun it, it was it was a really cool conversation
2: yeah definitely man this is going to be a great episode to listen to so see you guys next time
0: peace Want to thank you for listening to Away from the Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego.
2: So let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. So are, are you a, are you a big gamer? I'm guessing you are because you have a gaming channel,
1: right? Yeah, I've I've been playing video games since I was like six since that Commodore 64. Yeah. yeah, no, long before that. That oh. that that was like okay, there's there's video games for this. All right, I like this I like this thing. No, I, I started with the Atari uh, at my grandparents' house. The 2600 uh, in Kansas. Yeah, 2600. Um, you know, classic games like. Pong, of course, (laughs) E.T., Combat, a huge fan of of Combat. That was my absolute favorite. And then I got a Nintendo when I was, oh, seven, six or seven. Um, One of my uh, uh, uncles just randomly one day sent a check in the mail to me and my brother with explicit instructions saying we were to use that money to buy ourselves a Nintendo Entertainment System. So... Nice. I love
0: the NES. The NES yeah. was so awesome. I, it was
1: I, absolutely.
0: I remember um, seeing it because what had happened in, in the period between time, for those listeners who do not know, the Atari 2600 essentially flooded the market with really right. horrible video games. And so because there, was, <laughs> because there was so many of these horrible video games, much that were done in less than six weeks, like yeah. AT, Um, people stopped buying them. And so yep. there was a huge uh, drop in the market. Tons of people was laid were laid off. There was, you yep. know, n- and people were riding off the video game industry. So for a period, I guess, of two or three years, well, Nintendo decided to get back into it in America. They already were mm. doing it in Japan, and they marketed off the Nintendo Entertainment System, but not right. as a video game system, but as a toy. And so right. it came with a robot and say, hey, yep. this is a toy. So I remember Robbie, seeing the it, robot, Robbie, the robot. And I remember seeing it in Toys R Us when it yep. first came out. And I'm like, I don't care about a robotic toy. I mean, why would I play this thing? It's ridiculous, right? Yep, I mean, yep. it's going to be like the Atari, which I never had, but I kind of hated. it. I was more of a ColecoVision guy myself.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. With the, 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 the number pad on the controllers.
0: Number pad of control. And not only that, but yes. the uh, Smurfs was
1: amazing. I'm sorry. I, yes.
0: Smurfs was awesome. But um, I was at a Tony Romans not so long later, and yep. there was a tabletop of Super Mario Brothers, and yeah. I played it. And I was hooked at that point. I mean, literally within the next week, I had uh, gone and gotten Nintendo Entertainment System, and my mind was it was changed forever it was just it was my
1: life was changed nice so yeah so i've been playing video games forever you know since since the the early to mid 80s so what's your
0: your favorite genre i mean because nowadays there's so many different genres it's like is there one that you gravitate toward
1: the, most of what I play is first-person shooters only because it's really quick to pick it up and put it down. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I, if I didn't have a full-time job, I would be all over the role-playing games. That was absolutely my bread and butter for years, starting with Zelda. Oh, I God. still have most of the map of the original Zelda memorized, that and the original Metroid.
0: Oh, of course. well, I actually, the Zelda one, yes. Metroid, I
1: picked it up not so long ago, and I'm like, I forgot where everything's <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I did that recently, a couple of years ago, and I did struggle, but I eventually figured out where things were. I know it's around here, but Zelda is like, okay, yeah, I'm going oh, here, yeah. I'm going there. This puzzle is solved this way.
0: Yep. Even yeah, even the second quest, I'm mm-hmm. like,
1: yeah, I'm all over yeah, it. Yeah, the second one, I've never beat the second one. I, I can get to the end of it, but I can't beat it. I can't I can't get past the the swamp that gets you to the last dungeon.
0: But but the, the, but see here the difference between back then and now is that if we ever get stuck, we just go on the internet, and we find it. Yeah, exactly. It's all there. Back yep. when we got stuck back in the day, you're asking a friend
1: Yep. It uh, was me, Nintendo Power magazine. That's it. Yep. That's it. Yep. Uh, Hopefully you, you, you have had the, to Hopefully yeah, you hopefully have that you, one issue, right? Hopefully exactly, you have the
0: one issue that has exactly. us talking about that one game. Otherwise, you're hosed.
1: Yep. And I, I had the I had the issue with the full map of Zelda. Yep. And then the issue with the full map of Metroid. Yep. And I memorized those while playing. But yeah, so so these days, most of what I'm playing is first person shooters. And I, I really enjoy them. I was a huge Call of Duty fan. Basically, since uh, Modern Warfare One up oh, until yeah. Infinite Warfare, I, I did not buy Infinite Warfare. I'll probably buy it when it's like twenty bucks. Uh, but I'm I'm currently playing Battlefield One and just madly in love with that. I have hated Battlefield in the past. I, I kept trying to like it and could never like it. But I absolutely love Battlefield One. That and Titanfall Two are my go-to games right now. But I've also I've got a huge soft spot. For games like uh, The Last Guardian and Ico and Shadow of the Colossus, those kinds of just atmospheric adventure games. Yeah, love those games dearly, and and I find a real emotional connection with them. Uh, Role-playing games like uh, the... the, uh, Oblivion and and uh, oh, what are those Skyrim? Games? Yeah, Skyrim, Elder Scrolls, Elder yeah. Scrolls. That's the that's the series. I love those types of role playing games. The Final Fantasy series, except for Final Fantasy fifteen, which has been a huge disappointment to most people that have that have reviewed it. But uh, I, re- I for Christmas I bought my wife the Final Fantasy ten and X-2 remaster version for the PS four, and she is uh, currently replaying those. Final Fantasy VII remake. I am incredibly excited about that. We we actually named our daughter Ashalia after the lead no character way. of you Final didn't. Fantasy 12. <laughs> nice. Her her name is 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 Ashalia named after Princess Ash. She has That's a poster awesome. of Princess Ash hanging in her room. That is awesome. And so when when the re-release of that happens at the end of this year, I'm going to be buying that and and playing through it with her you, you know how,
2: well, i've i've been
0: playing be? a ton of um the old zelda games i'm working yeah. my way through the old um ds zelda They're games so right now and oh, it's
1: uh, it, it's a, like a, a link to the past just uh, other than the original zelda a link to the past on on the super nintendo is there's just something so incredibly perfect about a link to the past
0: it's it's the traditional top down and yeah. moving between the worlds. And yeah. uh, did you play a, a Link Between Worlds, which is kind of like I a, did not the successor? Yeah. Oh, I I I loved it. Very similar. It's like almost like right. you're in the same uh, world, but there's different mechanics to it. Nice. Um, I just finished that one, and, nice. and that was I I it was one. Of, it's been one of my favorites. But man, I'm sorry. I gotta disagree. I gotta go back to Ocarina. Ocarina is
1: See, I never I never had a GameCube or an N sixty four, so there's a whole there's two generations of oh. Zelda games that, that I never got to play.
0: Yeah, my I, I got my daughter, I was I was playing through Ocarina and she was kinda watching me. Yeah. And when I was finished, she wanted to play, so she started playing it and right. she she gets on a bit. Because she gets a little completion questy, so she yeah. was on YouTube trying to <laughs> find all the pose and find all yeah. the, the 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 golden sculptas and do all that stuff. But mainly, she's been figuring out herself, and I'm and I'm nice. and I'm kind of teaching her that part of the game is to uh, adventure and you figure it out yourself. And you're kind of cheating yourself with the experience if you go to YouTube and or you go on the internet and try yeah. to, and it tells you what it is. It's like yeah. Wait until you're really stuck, and you spend a little bit of time. Yeah.
1: Then get on. Then go. Yeah, that's that's kind of my philosophy, and and I've I've tried to do that with Final Fantasy series, and uh, we still have the original game guide for uh, Final Fantasy X, and my wife pulls it out pretty regularly because there there are times when the game just does not even give you a clue. Yeah. And there's some crazy puzzle you have to solve. And it's, it's like, well, really? I mean, what? what? Okay, I always find the
0: that, that that's bad game design, right? Where yeah, you just, yeah. And you're shooting in the dark there. It's like, right. Eh. What, what was it? The original Star Tropics? You had to put the the map or something. There's a note or something in water for you to yeah, figure out? Yeah. Like,
1: that's what right. The, who, who the heck would. Wait, y'all on crack. That's. Uh-huh. <laughs> Things like that. Like I, I, had a cousin that was actually a graphics designer, animation designer. He, he. There was a scene. It was either in uh, uh, Riven or Mist. I can't remember which one. But there's a scene where you walk up to a curtain and you hold a candle up to it and it it lights on fire. And he animated the the fire burning up the curtain. And uh, that was one of those games, a puzzle game where you. You you, you kind of had no clue what you were supposed to do. You just had to randomly try things.
0: I'm pretty sure that was Riven. Yeah. Um. I was a huge Mist fan. I mean, I have the three Mist novels that they wrote. I still have them. Nice. Um. I'm. I loved Mist. I think I got up to Mist four. Wow. I didn't. I didn't think I played five. I was on the beta for the Uru, which was their Oof. MMORPG. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, that it was not good. But um, no, I was I was hooked in Line and Seeker with that whole series. I th- that I, that was amazing, and all it was was pointing and clicking. There was no, yep. <laughs> was no real time or anything. It was yep. just images came up and you clicked.
1: <laughs> and you clicked Yep, and you clicked. <laughs> so yeah, that's so that's kind of my history in gaming and the the whole YouTube gaming channel. It started last November. And I was I was playing a ton of Battlefield 1, and I was like, huh, that was a pretty good round. I wish I could record that. Yeah. Oh, wait, doesn't the PlayStation 4 have recording built into it? Oh, look at that. That's That's pretty easy to just save what I just played. And, oh, look, I can just directly upload this to YouTube right from my PlayStation. And oh look, I can make the video private, download it later and edit it. And oh yeah, I've got video editing skills and oh there's some bit of news and this cool thing that I could do a you know, voiceover on top of gameplay with and oh look, there's this $150 game recording device that'll stream everything to my laptop and I can do better overlays and higher resolution and oh look now I can and oh look and oh look and it just Down it just exploded the rabbit hole, he fell. exactly and and I have like 33 subscribers on on my gaming channel and I've earned a whopping 73 cents out of <laughs> out of my my channel. <laughs> Shut down Watch Me code tomorrow. I'm making a full-time YouTuber. You know, 73 oh, well, cents. I've I'm only got like $99.27 before I get my first payout. <laughs>
2: <laughs> PS4 all the way.
1: Exactly. But yeah, so it's, it's fun. I used to do PC gaming and, and console gaming back in the day. And I've stuck with console because I got tired of my PC not being good enough to play whatever the new game was oh my gosh
2: i used to hate that so i remember there was this game i don't remember you remember crisis oh yeah so every time crisis came out it you always needed a new graphics card
1: always they were they were notorious about pushing graphics cards to their absolute limit and they they created incredibly beautiful games doing it and i was always insanely jealous of the people that had a machine powerful enough to to run it at full yeah. detail, full resolution. Yeah. But I, I could never afford to keep up with it, which is why I switched to, to console gaming. With Starting with the PS2, uh, I had a PS1, the original PlayStation, back in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, bought the PS2 for my wife uh, as a wedding present, and I bought uh, Final Fantasy X for her with it, and that was her introduction to Final Fantasy, and she hasn't stopped playing role-playing games since. <laughs> Uh, so yes, I've, I've played PlayStation 2, 3, and 4. I had an Xbox 360 as well because frankly it was a better system than the PlayStation 3 and that's where all my friends were but I still loved my PS3. had a lot of fun with that and I'm a huge fan of the PS4. I, I really want to buy a PS4 Pro um, but I don't have any money right now so I'm hoping that...
2: Priorities, man.
1: Yeah, hoping that, that YouTube will suddenly give me... $500 worth of worth of ad revenue so I can buy one and you know call well, if, it part of the the gaming channel and
0: if you were you a know. 19-year-old teenage blonde comedian from Vine yes. I'm sure you'd have a lot more followers I am sure I would
1: and <laughs> I I don't do any of the dumb tricks that that people on YouTube do I don't go around posting hey loved your video I subscribed you should subscribe to me you know I, I don't do that crap I get I get people posting that spam on my my channel Quite frequently, and I can see that that it, it technically works. These people have 2,500, 3,000 subscribers, so somebody out there is responding to those types of messages. But that's not at all what I do. Instead, right. I game SEO. You know, I, I spend I spend my time uh, putting in the right keywords into the description as well as the the keyword section, so that right. I show up inside the what to watch next. Um, on the big name people's channels, and I get in there pretty regularly. I can I can look at my stats and see that I get a large number. Like sixty six percent of my views come from either YouTube search or the the recommended video links. About half, nice. about thirty three percent between each of those. Right, right, nice. So I'm so, pretty
0: I'm pretty sure we're we're getting close to signing off, right, sus
2: We could talk
1: for another three hours. It's all good. Yeah, I was gonna say we should have
2: (laughs) you come on, and we should just have a show about gaming. Yeah, that'd be fun. I think that'd be interesting. We'll we'll, we'll go. We'll go back, right? We'll talk Super Mario Brothers and Donkey Kong, and yeah, you know, Duck Hunt with little little guns.